Hi, everyone. You're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is really special for me because I credit her with me even being able to do this. Jenna Elfman is someone I've known for almost more than 20 years. She says in her interview that she's known me since I was a teenager. She was the first person to wear my goods on TV. It got my name out there. It's how I was able to launch a bag when she came back later and asked me to. So this is us having a much overdue catch up. Take a listen. So I'm really excited to interview you. I, I'm I'm so happy to actually be sitting in front of you for longer <laughs> than 20 seconds. Because I, I feel like every time we see each other, it's like I'm passing through New York and it's like a subway ride yeah. and we catch up literally on the subway. Yes. Or... Um, at your brother's house in With a million kids running around. Yeah. And yeah. I'm actually just like, we're two grownups and I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know what to do with myself sitting with another female <laughs> period. Cause right. it's just been a lot of boys in my house. So, um, I, excuse me if my social, I don't know how to talk to another adult woman. Yeah. It's like, hi, wow. Who am I? I can answer <laughs> questions about like boy things. I can encourage you to go take a shower oh, and argue good. and negotiate with you about, um, bathing. Yeah, uh, I'm really good at that. The boys in their bathing. And they're like stinky. They're like, ugh. He yes. thinks my 12 year old doesn't think he needs to shower every day. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Does he pers- Does he have like BO now as no. at 12? That's good. No. But, you know, still. I'm, I'm not looking forward to that day. General health. There's a few things I'm not looking forward to <laughs> <laughs> pubic hair. Yeah, like long solo showers and that discussion and locked bedroom doors. Um, Totally not interested. I did this sex talk. Yeah. I did sex ed. That was actually really cool and I really, it was good. I'm glad I was the one doing it, but I'm not ready for the other parts yet at all. Well, you can have him go talk to my brother because he has very honest conversations. I talked to your brother about he, it. He told you, right? Yes. <laughs> he told me everything. Oh, my God. It was actually really helpful to have. It's good to have parents. Like, you know, you talk about yeah. it's good. It's like the village. It's like a little powwow around the tribe. It is. Getting advice and stuff. My daughter um, has already started. She, she Puberty like, or? <laughs> <laughs> doing um, things you think happen later. Like uh-huh, the humping. It. The yeah. humping has mm-hmm. begun. She calls it exercise. And I'm like, I know what you're doing, dude. Yeah, I did that too at your age. So like, I'm mm-hmm. not surprised. Mm-hmm. But like, chill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I heard of other kids. I didn't even know what it was till I think I was like 19. My mom handed me a mammals mating book. Oh my God. For my sex ed. And she just handed it to me and said, here, read that. And then walked away. Terrible. And that was the only education about sex that I got. So you get ladies together. It just goes, start talking about sex. <laughs> it's like amazing. I often on this podcast, will talk about sex or breastfeeding or I don't know. I talk about fact. all those on our podcast. So I, I've got nothing to withhold. <laughs> Ask me anything. So I want to start at the beginning mm-hmm. of your career trajectory, but also like we met in 2001. I remember you... Oh, no, in 99, I think. No, we you met. were like a teenager living at home. That's right. And I was hanging out. Your mom had just made a really amazing dinner. And you came out having made your prom outfit. That's right. And you were like, look what I'm wearing for prom. And you had made it. And you were really proud. And it was awesome. Yeah. That was really cool. That was... Um, I have those pictures. And I'm like, that looked really handmade. But, but you looked, made it. But I made it. it. Yeah, you did. And it was cool. Was it satin? It was like a satiny sort of stretch fabric. Yeah. Was yeah. it whitish? Yeah. Yeah. You I have a really that. fucking good memory. I don't, but I remember that. Oh my God. Yeah. But then in 2001, it was 9 11. 
It was just before. I sent you the shirt before? on like nine nine. Okay. And you got it on the thirteenth. <gasps> and it was and an I Love it. New York shirt you had reworked. Mm-hmm. And then you had done the necklace. I for nine eleven. So you sent that too. Yep. And then I went on to Jay Leno. Yep. And he said I like your shirt. And, and he then said I, my name. I said about it. I talked about you. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. And the next day, email was a new thing then, but like my email was like flooded with with requests. And that's what I did for nine months was made that shirt. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. It's crazy. And then the bag. We were having dinner at Chi Dynasty. Mm-hmm. You're like, do you do bags? Do you do bags, Becky? Do you, you do bags? I have, I have an important. I have a need. Well, yeah. And I lied to you and I said, yes. See, yes, but I that's do. The, the, you say yes. That's the right <laughs> answer. Yeah. But I want to start with you. So okay. you, did you, you were a dancer. I know this. Classically trained ballerina and jazz dancer. Okay. Um, had an ankle injury that was just kind of prohibitive of a ballet, full ballet career. So I sort of moved from a ballet company goal, which I was about to go into a ballet company. And I started dancing for TV and film because I wasn't doing as much ballet like up on your toes. It was more jazz dance and modern and contemporary. <clears throat> and I got hired. I did. I danced a music video for Cher. I was on tour with ZZ Top. I was in a Depeche Mode video. I did a t- danced in TV shows that had you know dance sequences and um, and then I danced on the Academy Awards. I was one of the dancers Do on the Academy Awards. You have footage of all this? Yeah, like on a VHS tape oh, somewhere. Oh, that's so cool. And then in 1991, I danced on the Academy Awards, but that was kind of the best gig you could get at the time in LA as a dancer. And so I didn't have plans to go to New York. So I just, and right then I met Bodie on a commercial, my now husband. And he was, an, he was studying acting and I was like, you know, I think I'm ready to, cause I was doing commercials too, obviously to pay the bills. And um, I was like, I think I'm ready to like transition. Like I'll keep dancing, but I, I think I'm ready to now uh, I've kind of peaked or done everything I could do in LA and it's not enough to pay the bills. Right. And I had kind of paid my dues and I did all the cool gigs and uh, it's time for the next game. Right. You know, it's time to transition. And mainly what it was, it wasn't just arbitrary, like acting, like how do you go from dance to acting? For me, it was, um, specifically, I remember dancing on the Academy Awards. I was one of like 30 dancers and I was about an inch tall on the screen. And I really wanted to make an impact on the world. I had a goal to impinge upon people and make their life better or inspire them to feel better. And I didn't feel that I could do that one inch tall and without a name credit or, you know, I just, I had this urge to impact people in a larger capacity directly. Right. And so it was like the current game I was playing in life just kind of didn't fit that. And so I was like, acting. I can have my own name. I can create an impact on people. And so that's when I happened to meet Bodhi. Then he's like, well, I study acting. So I started studying acting. And uh, and then ultimately I got an agent. And then within a year I had my own show. So how do you think, like, because there's lots of people that move to LA and there's lots of people that want to be actors. And then you see them as waiters and waitresses. And like, I had never quite made it or like, especially what do you think you did to set yourself apart to like really get a shit? Like what you had happen was like a dream. Yeah. Uh, it was not, uh, did not land in my lap. Nothing in my life has ever landed in my lap. Right. Things don't land in my lap. 
They don't um, have to mind either. <laughs> yeah. I have to, what works for me, and it wasn't just what worked for me to get that career going. It's what has reinvigorated my career during lulls. Because no one's career is just like skyrocket and stays lit. Right. Like, you don't just stay lit in your right. career. Like, right. I mean, that'd be cool, but I don't think anybody has that. There's a couple people that have that. Well, Maybe. I think it's an apparency because right. I think in their mind, when they're laying their head on the pillow and they're waking up on a Sunday morning on the couch, they may not fully be satisfied, though we think they're all thrilled. Right. So really, I don't think so because I don't think that's how the universe works. You're right. Um, but what has worked for me uh, and that has dug me out during lulls and has reinvigorated my current trajectory, kind of as a, you know, in the dramatic experience on Fear of the Walking Dead and transitioning from a comedic journey in my career was being really clear on what I wanted. It wasn't a generality. I actually wanted to be on a comedy. Though it wasn't, I didn't even know I could do comedy. Right. I didn't know I was funny. I didn't know I had a capacity for comedy. I was studying acting like drama. I was just like normal. And then, um, but I, I was, I really liked the comedies that were on the air at the time. And TV reached a lot of people internationally. <laughs> and I wanted to reach hundreds of millions of people. It was actually, that was my number. Wow. I went, I want to reach hundreds of millions of people. And not in a narcissistic way. Yeah. I actually just wanted to uh, make people smile and feel better about their day before they went to bed. Yeah. Because as a child, which is where I think this goal came from, I, I just felt like I would walk around and see so much sorrow. And I didn't know how to help people as a child. Right. I didn't know I'd see someone who seemed preoccupied, disturbed, troubled, and I didn't know how to what I could do to help them. Right. But with the, when they would look at me, like as a kid, they would smile. And I went, oh, I just made their day better. Like, you know, so I really had a goal. Oh, and I had the thought process. Well, if they're sad, that means that something went wrong that they were happy about before. Like prior to the sadness was a good feeling. And then they like something went wrong and then they got sad. So I wanted to help them get back to the feeling that they were at before they got sad. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how philosophical you can be as a child. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, so I was like, I want to reach hundreds of millions of people. I want to make them feel better. That was really it. So I went TV. You reach a lot of people that way. And how many auditions did you have to go on? Like, Well, I did... It was just to get an agent was like a pain in the ass. Right. I would sit in waiting rooms. I would select the agent. I would do research. I'm big on research. I research a lot. And so that I'm very clear on what my target is. Yep. So I think research in any area, I think education, not random education, but education about the thing you want to do and the environment and workplace that you want to be in and the, the, the business game that you want to be in, you got to know about it. So yeah. you got to educate yourself on what it is. What are the rules? What is, what are the agreements that everybody's functioning by and know what they are? And then, so that's like education and then research. So once you kind of get a sense of what it is, then it's okay. So who's doing the best at that? Mm -hmm. Who's the best at it? Who's winning the most at that aspect or that facet that I want to be engaged in? So I was research. you know, it was like the nineties, the TV comedies was massive. It was right. like a thing. And I wanted to be part of it. And I just watched every comedy that was on the air that was doing well. And then I wrote a master list. If I had my own show, what would I want to do on it? What would I want it to be? Like, what kind of stuff would I want to do? I wish, I hope I can find this list. I wonder if I still have it somewhere. And I wrote all the fun things, this blue sky, that I would just have so much fun doing if I had my own show. 
And I'm not kidding you. Dharma and Greg, I got to do all of them. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So it is worth it, you know, I think, to grant yourself the time and space to dream. But then from dreaming, you got to do the little administrative step for yourself of like getting clear on what it is you want. Yeah. And then educating and researching. Like do that work because it's work that pays off. It's knowledge. No one can take knowledge away from you. Yeah. Ever. That's yours. Your dreams are yours and your targets are yours. No one can take it away. They yeah. can try and like divert you, but if you know what it is, the problem is if you're not clear for that, you'll it'll take you forever. You're just adding so much time, you know. Yeah. Wandering. So that was really what worked for me. And then I just set out promoting, like, you know, I had to get an agent. So I researched what agents, you know, I did all that. And I would go and they wouldn't return my calls. No one would return my calls. They wanted a tape. I'm like, I don't have a tape. I need an agent. So I also researched like AFI, does student films, USC does student films. So I found the trade paper. I think it was like Backstage was one of them. And they advertise for student films. They need actors. And so I built up a little tape by doing student films. So I had something to show an agent. And now you can just put yourself on tape doing whatever you want to do. Right. Like, it's so much easier now with so the much interweb. Easier. It is. <laughs> and technology. Yeah. But I would like get a huge bouquet of flowers and just sit in the lobby and wait for them to go to lunch and catch them on their way out. Go, hey, I left you a message. I haven't heard from you, but here's some flowers. Have a great lunch. Right. I'm so-and-so. I left the tape at the reception. Check it out. Sometimes they would never call me back, but that opened the door to something else. Right. And that opened the door to a great idea somewhere else. So sometimes you have to do those things and fail. But if you didn't do them, you wouldn't then have the next idea. Totally. I call it a numbers game. I'm like, to me, it's not emotional. It's a numbers game of like, how many people do I have to email to get blah back? Or right. magazine editors. I used to like count it every week. Like mm -hmm. I emailed 500 people. Two people have to get back to me. Mm -hmm. And then you know your number before you get a reply. Mm -hmm. So I felt like it wasn't just in vain. Right. And if there's some sort of targeted who you're trying yes. to reach out to, that's even more, you know. So how many years was Dharma and Greg? Five. Five. Okay. Yeah. So I got an agent and then did like to answer your how many auditions or whatever. Yeah. I don't even know. I just would audition. I don't even care. I was just like audition, audition, audition. And then I did like some guest star roles over the fall. And then spring, I got townies. My, you know, I went and tested for a show, got townies. That was 15 episodes, got canceled. And then I got Dharma and Greg. And during that time, you did not have kids yet? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I had so much time to work out and do my hair. Oh, my God, I had so much time. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, my gosh. I'm always wondering, like, why, why did I ever feel like I was tired before kids? Yeah, no. Okay, so after Dharma and Greg, like, what was the decision for that to come to an end? I have no idea. Okay. It's still a mystery. I think it ultimately came to, that's what was so heartbreaking, is no one was ready for it to end. Right. Um, I think it literally came down to a business thing of the licensing fee agreement between 20th, and 20th Century Fox and ABC. And they couldn't come to an agreement. And then there's things with in reruns and you know syndication where if the deal's not right they could actually lose money by continuing to make the show okay and so it was somewhere in the minutia of that <laughs> that it came to an end and it was really a bummer actually yeah and it took some time for me to adjust i'm really bad at being unemployed okay so what how long so then i would take jobs that weren't aligned to my goals and my purposes yeah because i was more and then that was like then i started building a wrong narrative for my journey. Right. Um, I had to learn from that and um, go, oh, 
okay, no, let's not work just to work. This is okay. No. Mm -mm. And then had some lulls, had some losses, you know, of like development deals that didn't go anywhere, you know, shows that would get canceled. Um, then I had a baby and that was amazing. That raises your necessity to make some money to pay sort for that some baby. shit out. <laughs> And then had more failed shows and losses and frustrations. And um, can we can we stop yeah. on that because you mm -hmm. like I think people see this world where it all looks great and easy and perfect in in lots of people's careers. But like when you're saying like you had a show didn't go through a development deal like that's somewhat normal for most actors. Very. So when the world just thinks it's all fine and dandy, like what's going through your head? Uh, many phone calls to my manager standing <laughs> in that backyard saying, you know, I think I'm done with that. I'm, I think, I think, I mean, I'm going to sleep on it, but I think I'm done. And what were you thinking you wanted to do? I don't know. Just raise my kids and right. I don't know. I, I, I just couldn't take the pain of yes. loss, totally. of frustration, of things not going the right way. And here's what was tricky. Moving from nothing, like barely paying my rent, you know, doing commercials, waiting, not waiting tables. I would do like odd random jobs. Um, I would like make jewelry, go to acting class, sell the jewelry so I had enough money to get gas to get home. I actually felt quite oriented at that time because I had nothing to lose really. Correct. And had only upward looking goals. Once you have success, I felt like there's literally no education, no mentoring, no one tells you how to maintain a high profile career. I, I like what actresses sit around and go, here's what you do when you have huge success and then your life goes to shit because the industry's changing. There's a writer's strike. Suddenly you're changing, you're aging, you're in this weird purgatory of casting, but you just, you, you've got like, you just had all this success. There is literally no one telling you how to navigate right, that right. at all. Right. I had no idea what to do. I had no, everything that I had worked for me, I was like trying to continue doing comedy, the writing, you know, television was going through a transition with reality, with the internet, with cable. So there was this whole change. There's the internet was exploding. So more people were exposed to more things. And so their sense of what they wanted to watch was changing culturally. So that was a weird trap. Yep. Uh, writer deals that the studios were made. I mean, so many things that are out of my control were like affecting my career. Right. So that just felt vulnerable and weird and discombobulated for sure. And um, that went on for quite a while. It was really uncomfortable. Yeah. And then I went, okay, I need to, then I had like, a second kid. But the whole, when the, when the industry is changing, all the rules are changing. And all you know is the rules that worked for you that got you there. Yep. So then you're trying to apply the same rules and literally nothing's working. I feel you, girl. Yeah. It's really discombobulating. It's so unsettling because you don't have like a stable place with which to like, do anything mm -hmm. and you're like okay this is a whole new I literally have to start over yeah. uh, like in a way of going okay so what are your wh what are we doing what's the industry now and when the industry doesn't even know you almost just have to go all right I'm just gonna invest in like quality family time and find a new moment of inspiration what do I want to do and um, I had to make a change you know in my representation Nothing, nothing bad, just like I needed to kind of shake it up a little bit. And I had to kind of go back to the drawing board of what do I want to do? What 
that blue sky time where you just give yourself time to dream instead of like trying to keep going after something you're like well, hang, hang on hang on do i even want that like right i'm just sort of doing this because that's what i've been doing but actually is what do i want yeah and um i had to go who am i now I've had two kids. I've done like lobbying for like social betterment causes, you know, social justice. I'm like had a, a marriage forever. I've <laughs> gone through all of those things. Like I have a lot of knowledge actually of just from living life. And um, what do I want to do? How do I want to express myself? I would look at people with roles or careers that I would feel a little jealous. Like, God, I wish I had that. I'm like, well, okay, what's that? Why would I wish that? What is it about theirs that I wish I had? Mm -hmm. And I would use that to kind of pull a string, you know, like pull a curtain back to go, you want to be telling stories as a woman. You want to, you know, I was like, I'm craving expressing myself in a more grounded, I wanted to stay in those moments as an artist, you know, where comedy or kind of, it's a whole different rhythm. It's a different universe of expression. I was like, oh, I think I'm craving like doing hooking into the human condition. I think I want to do some drama. Yeah. And um, had just made a, an adjustment on representation. And then I got it, but I got it. I got clear on what it was I wanted to do. I wanted to take all the experiences I've had and express myself as an artist in a story. Yeah. Using this new having lived. Ten days later, they offered Fear the Walking Dead. You know. It was, again, getting clear, giving myself the time and space to get clear on what it is I wanted, not overthinking it, but actually what is it, what would make me so happy? Like right. just blue sky, let, let yourself have the dream. Right. And, uh, okay, is there anything kind of inhibiting that? What's getting in the way? You know, I had had a manager who was lovely, but he kept driving me towards comedies. Right. And it wasn't really like, we couldn't get quite aligned there. You know, and I just went, you know, I think I need to shake it up a bit. You know, um, I don't feel like I can kind of do this next chapter in this house I'm in with you. And so I just parted ways, you know, nothing bad. It wasn't anything bad. Right. I, I love the guy and he was very loyal and supportive, but I just needed to change and align everything, mm -hmm. you know, because if I'm trying to go one way and he sort of thinks maybe this way is better, it's better for their company because I make a lot of money doing, co I don't know. I would just... Or it was just metaphysical and I needed to shake it up. Yeah. But it was literally, I made that change and it came in. So. Wow. He's like, are you going some, to some other manager? I said, no, I, I'm going to get back into the dance studio and connect to my artistry. That's what I'm craving. I need to connect back to myself as an artist. Would you ever, this is totally random, would you ever do Dancing with the Stars? No. Okay. <laughs> I've been asked. Okay. But... That's not the form of expression that I enjoy. Yes. That format right, right. isn't necessarily for me. Okay. Yeah. I want to go back to dance as a choreographer when I'm like not raising small children. Mm -hmm. Like I crave that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I would need to reteach myself everything all over again. Like you need spend, to give yourself that time and space. Yeah. Like spend two years just being a student so that I could like properly whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're, so you're, you've been on how many seasons? This is, uh, we're about to film my third, we are filming my third season. Okay. The show's sixth season. 
so my listeners know this, but I have an actual legitimate fear of zombies. Okay. So while I am an obsessed fan, mm-hmm. um, I couldn't watch any of this while I was pregnant because like my heart rate would get too high mm-hmm. to watch it. Mm-hmm. But Gavin has footage of me taking my pants on and off in a moment of like stress for like. Oh, totally. I was like, yes. <laughs> what's happening? Like when I get too scared. When I first started researching before I got, before I went on to the show, I watched like every episode, every every episode of Walking Dead oh and my God. Fear. It's so scary. And I would find as I got scared, I would just hit mute. Yeah. And it's so much better, right? It's so much sound. You just make the sound go away. Oh my God. It's, it's like totally, Jaws. Uh-huh. Yeah. I have to catch up because honestly, since I had the baby, I haven't watched because anyway. You don't even need to explain. I think any mother is like, oh yeah, totally. No. Watch TV. I know, but it's no. like on my, it's been on my watch list yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Um, so now that you're back and you're doing something totally different, not comedy drama, like do you feel more prepared to deal with the success? And, like, you know, you've learned lessons that, like, the last five years of Dharma and Greg, like, that you didn't have before. Yes. What are those? Appreciation and gratitude for what you have and not ex- knowing that it will not be there. It could just definitely go away in a day because that's the world we live in. And I think I had that young, beautiful naivete of thinking it's always going to be like that. I'm always going to be making, you know this paycheck at this having 13 18 million viewers right i think being grateful and that has been a huge lesson for me and i am so grateful i'm 48 and i'm getting to tell the story of a character who every season is going on these amazing changes and evolution and getting to tell these like really legit emotional arcs with my character. And this season is no different. It's amazing, the story I get to tell of her. And I'm just like, how lucky is that? Yeah. And it's really the the, the time of the woman right now. And the time of the woman in her 40s and 50s and 60s. Yeah. It's legit on. And I just feel like I'm so lucky. I'm coming in right during a sweet spot in our culture that they're we're making a cultural shift towards the female stories. You know, there's there's so many amazing female stories to be told, and they just need to be supported so they can be told. Yeah. And uh, I'm all for it, and I'm so grateful. Gratitude, definitely. Yeah. Not taking it for granted. So not just kind of resting on your laurels, but like every day putting energy and creativity and uh, contribution to my journey, to the show, the network, just contribution, uh, proactive contribution. Right. And um, so that is something, uh, not underestimating the power of hard work. You cannot be a selfish, narcissistic, lazy ass and think that's gonna last long. It might be like a short whim. You might have some good success for a little bit, but you're not gonna, your head's not gonna be happy when it hits the pillow if you're not sort of uh, being generous with your energy and having a great work ethic. I think that's really valuable these days. I think there's a generation that I don't know what it is with this generation of, uh, late twenties. I notice it even in a restaurant, they'll come and take the order when they feel like it. (laughs) Right. When they've, when they finish their social media posting. Yeah. It's actually a really a not cool work ethic Yeah, that may be fine in the culture temporarily, but in terms of long-term survival, yeah. it's a bad operating basis. It's a bad plan. Yeah. You, in the workplace, you need to 
work your ass off, always deliver more and better than is expected, but you have to fucking find out what that is. Right. So that you know what to deliver. Right. You have to find out what's valuable to the people that are employing you. What is it that they are expecting and what's valuable to them? Right. And, um, and uh, yeah, be on time and don't be an asshole. Don't be a selfish asshole. It's Damn. so unbecoming. <laughs> it's really unbecoming. So I just say be on time, work your ass off, and deliver better and more than is expected. Yeah. And be grateful. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Those are, I think, big ones I've learned. Yeah. And be prepared. I'm prepared. I have a zombie. I have a go bag. Oh, you do? That's good. <laughs> we bought it after I started watching the show. I was like, we need a go bag. It's true. A survival backpack. You do. <laughs> you need to be prepared in life and you need to be prepared at work. Oh, my God. Otherwise, there's just so many factors right. in our environment and in our life and in our world. And, you know, with bosses, you know, there's I, I feel like there's a lot of executive change change up. It's sort of like marriage. Like people just get divorced if it doesn't work. I feel like there's a lot of executive structure that changes more rapidly. Yeah. And I used to hear this from friends that were in the music industry. Uh, they'd be developing an album. It was all good. The head of the, the record company was super into it. They're putting money behind it. And then there'd be an executive shift. And the new executive doesn't want that artist. And right. literally out on the street. Yep. That fast. So, um, yeah. And save money. Save money. Don't spend it all. <laughs> Save. Save it for a rainy day. You gotta set some aside. Um, so I asked two questions of all my guests on the podcast. What is one thing we'd be surprised to know about you? I always share something embarrassing if I can think of something. Like having to dislodge my own clogged breast yeah. duct. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know. Some people have shared, I don't know, funny things, serious things. Uh, I've got plenty. So What category? Motherhood? Career? I don't know. Tell uh, me something I mean, we'd, be shocked. we'd be shocked to know shocked i had a really a hard time breastfeeding my first kid i mean we were talking about work this whole podcast yeah. and i'm switching to the boob yeah um i couldn't get him to latch properly right and uh i read a book called breastfeeding made simple after my first kid that changed my life and i had a great time breastfeeding my second kid wow the bottom i'm just gonna say this for the mothers out there yeah the bottom jaw is the working jaw right and at the time, the lactation consultant kept saying, you know, up and over, get them. You want the whole, you know, areola in the mouth, up and over. And I kept sliding him to get up and over. But what happened is I was bringing his working, the bottom jaw right up to the nipple right. to try and get the top jaw over. To the areola. And the working jaw was working the nipple. And it, they, both of them were lifting off my body. They actually came off of my body. Oh, that makes my, my uterus yes. fold up into a prune. Yes. <laughs> Separated, like oh. lifted off. And because he wasn't doing it right, he wasn't getting milk. And so then I was like so beyond full. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a horrendous time in my life. And then um, I had to have my nanny, who was also my very good friend, and my assistant, who I had for 18 years, I would stand in the shower with my arms up. We would put like soap or hair conditioner on it and they would each take a boob. And they, cause I was getting so jammed because right. there was no milk flow. Right. And they both have milk to you? work it, wow. work each boob. I would stand there in the shower sobbing oh. while each one of them grabbed a boob. That is amazing. And helped me out. That is so amazing. It was full on like sisterhood village. It is. It was um, unbelievable. Wow. I'd have full cabbages. 
mm-hmm. on them. I was getting mastitis. Oh, it's the worst. And then a great thing came out of it, which was I then had to just pump because I had to heal. He never went back on my boob again. I pumped for 10 months and on sets in the backs of cars in random bathrooms on airplanes. Um, I had so, I, I pumped to drain every time. So I had so much milk because my body just supply and demand. Uh, it was like in the fridge, falling out of the freezer. It was so much. And I had a friend come over at the time whose wife had a sister. The sister had just had a baby. In the past, that sister had had drug problems. They thought she was done. Turns out she hadn't and um, had a uh, methamphetamine addicted babe infant that she had just given birth to. That was going through withdrawals. She took off, so they had the baby. Mm. This baby could not keep any formula down at all. He was going through with heavy withdrawal, methamphetamine withdrawal. He just got born, like that's not hard enough. And I was like, he needs some living enzyme. He needs living, and I went, oh my God, I have so much milk. Yeah. So every week, this my friend would come and I'd give him a cooler full of my milk wow. that he would give to immediately the baby started improving the second he got my milk. Yeah. And um, they've now officially adopted him. He's their child and he's flourishing. Wow. That's amazing. It's it was really cool to be able to help that. Totally. I feel so. like that's like a, one of the ultimate gifts when you can do that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I did it. It was just a mom that couldn't had nothing and she was like didn't want to do formula and I was like I have this extra stuff here and I just I don't know it feels like it kind of feels like what you would do if you were in a village like if you were like a village of women I I mean that feels natural to a degree like you know yeah I mean I had a friend who had um preeclampsia and so she couldn't feed her baby because she was like totally out of it and I was like give me the baby like we're in the hospital I was like I'll put her on my boob it's fine Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what we would do. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. So one difficulty ended up saving a life. So it was pretty awesome. That's awesome. And then real quick, uh, like a, a, a piece of advice you have either been given or you've learned that you want to share outside of, you, you might've already feel like you shared it and that's mm-hmm. fine too. But if like there's one thing that I've received, either or, you've that received or, or that you've learned and you want to give like so passing it on or like that you... I think a really good thing, a good piece of advice is every morning before you go to work, don't show up at work getting your shit together for the day. Get up early and have your little morning constitution and get yourself straight. Get your head straight, get your bathroom straight, have your coffee, shake your shower, handle whatever personal issues you need to handle. It's worth getting up early. This was advice from my mom. And when you show up at work, those personal problems do not cross the threshold. Right. You're at work. And that is, you never bring your personal shit to work, ever. I love that. You do your job and you do it well and you work hard and you leave your problems, at your personal stuff at the door. That was great advice. That is really great advice, especially because um, when I arrived at the office, sometimes I see the people who got there going out for coffee. I'm like, why didn't you get your coffee on the way to work? Mm-hmm. Thank you for taking that time away at 10 a.m. Yeah, no, your employer's not paying you to <laughs> get settled and straightened up. Right. You know, and I think that, I think this next generation, there's, you know, because we have media with podcast, we do actually have a, an interesting way of mentoring now. Right. And, uh, but there was a chunk of time where there wasn't a whole lot of mentorship going on. And I think some, the art of being productive in life and being a responsible employee, even if you have goals and you're aiming towards bigger things, 
um, you're going to need that recommendation from your employer. Right. And if you put yourself in their shoes, I don't think you would want to be paying them to like do the things they should have done at home. Totally. So, um, I love that. Yeah. I, I think that's a real, and then all of a sudden people, when you're a professional, you're good at what you do. You're on time. You're prepared. You don't have like, you're not bringing your shits, your personal baggage to the workplace. It's valuable. Right. It's a commodity. It's and it's actually rare. A commodity. So you will, you will you stand, stand out. out like a like a red flag. Yes, and and people employers want if they're halfway sane want to contribute to that. Totally. So you're gonna get a leg up by default just by being the one that's sane, responsible, professional, good at what you do, and hardworking. It just you literally can't. It's almost like you can't even stop yourself. You're like you will do well. Yeah, it's a valuable thing. Professionalism. It's Love a commodity. It. It's actually exchangeable commodity. It's true. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody out there. I wish you all the best. I hope that you shock yourself in the most amazing way by doing things you never thought you could do. And, um, and, and I love her, you. And watch her on Fear the Walking Dead and download her podcast. Oh, yeah. Kicking and Screaming. It's on iTunes. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. That was Jenna Elfman. You can follow her at Jenna Elfman and definitely watch her on Fear the Walking Dead because she's fucking amazing.